Welcome to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I'm Carrie Ann. My guest for this episode is Deborah Sandler, who has worked at some major American brands in very high-level executive roles, and now she has transitioned into the role of being an entrepreneur. There is no breadfruit minute for this episode, but I just wanted to give you a few updates and announcements. Maybe I can put this as a wagwan segment, right? The original plan was to introduce a new segment for this episode. However, the segment is dependent on the website, which is going through an update. I haven't added new content since the start of the year, and that's because behind the scenes, the site is being redesigned. And so um, my apologies to anyone who prefers to listen to the episodes on the website. It is my hope to get the new site launched and ready before the end of March. I'm really excited about the new episodes that are coming up. In the meantime, if you have a topic or suggestions for the show, I'd love to hear them. There's a link in the show notes to drop your feedback and suggestions. Okay, that's it for announcements and updates. Now let's get to the main interview with Deborah Sandler. Hello, Deborah. Welcome to Carry On Friends Podcast. I am so excited that you are here. How are you today? I'm fabulous. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. All right. So why don't you tell the community of friends a little bit about who you are, Caribbean country represent, and all that good stuff. Okay. So uh, Deborah Sandler from Trinidad and Tobago, and I wish I was there right now versus, <laughs> rather than being uh, under all the snow here in New Jersey. And I am uh, a mom, a business person. I've had 30 plus years in corporate America in a bunch of different roles and fabulous companies. And now I'm out on my own with my own business. And then I also sit on corporate boards. So trying to, trying to, trying to live my best life. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. And you're being super modest with the roles and the companies you've worked on. And I want to give the audience a little taste of that. So what Deborah didn't mention is she's the founder of Mavis Foods. We're going to get into that. And it's a startup of Caribbean sauces and marinades. So, you know, we love with sauce and ting. And but also mm -hmm. that seasoned corporate American experience comes from being an executive at PepsiCo, Johnson and Johnson, and recently as the chief health and wealth being officers at Mars. So Mars is that company that makes your M&Ms and your Snickers and your Milky Way, my favorite. And um, some milestones, you were part of the innovative product launch of Splenda. So uh, just a little bit there. Because, of course, you know, you are so modest with those accomplishments, but we want the audience mm -hmm. to know the wealth of experience you bring to this conversation. So talk to me a little bit about now launching or transitioning to Mavis Foods because you've been in corporate up until maybe last year. And so what? About five years ago. Yeah, about five years ago. And, you know, look, I yes, I was very fortunate. I had about uh, 13 years at Pepsi, 10 years at J&J, &J, another seven or eight years at Mars. And throughout that, I, you know, I came up through marketing. So 
most of my career, um, about half of my career was marketing. The rest was general management. And I've always done innovation, you know, from early in my career at PepsiCo launching uh, caffeine-free Pepsi to going to J&J to launch. Uh, actually, I launched Diet Mountain Dew as well when I was at Pepsi. I then went to J&J. I launched Splenda, perhaps my proudest launch. Um, then uh, it went to Mars. I launched Pretzel M&M's, the Miss Brown character, um, a host of other new products. So I've always done innovation. So when I decided to transition from sort of operational roles inside of corporate America to governance, I kind of still was missing that, you know, that innovation thing. Um, it's kind of gets into your blood. And I was spending more time with family and my aunt had these sauces that she made and she kind of used to sell. And I say that, you know, <laughs> in quotes, she, you know, the Caribbean way, you right. know, Miss so-and-so wants some and that right. one wants some. <laughs> exactly. And then she had no idea of, you know, was she making any money? She wasn't really doing it for the money, right? Somebody wanted some pepper sauce, she'd make it. Um, but then, you know, the, the marketer in me said, but these are really good. I mean, I've launched big brands for, for major companies. Why couldn't I, why can't I launch something for my family? And so that's how that started. And, you know, taking her recipes, we launched uh, about two and a half years ago with three products and we've added two new products since then. So we had two pepper sauces, a mild and a hot. And, you know, you Caribbean people, the hot one's just not even hot enough. <laughs> so we're coming out with an even hotter version. But, you know, we're trying to please all palates, right? So we're introducing Caribbean uh, cooking as well to the, you know, the, the broader audience, some of who just can't take the heat. Um, and then we had, you know, every, every, as you know, every Caribbean kitchen has that green, that green sauce, seasoning sauce. So we have that. Um, and then we launched a curry and we have a tamarind sauce. So it's been fun uh, working with my family. My daughter also works with the company. She helps with the social media and the marketing. And my aunt is all things creative in terms of the, the recipes and approving, you know, the taste of the products. That's wonderful. Um, there's so many things I want to touch on. But I think I where I want to go is Caribbean cooking and introducing the Caribbean cuisine um, and spices or whatever it is to a wider audience. Talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges and opportunities you faced in doing that with uh, Mavis Foods. You know, because I, I do a lot of innovation, I've always been a trend watcher. And I saw these trends with, you know, quote unquote, ethnic foods growing. Um, and spicier foods and more flavorful foods being introduced. Um, you know, of course, there's always been Chinese food and Indian food, but then we started seeing, and, and Mexican food, right? Mexican was growing. But then we started seeing Moroccan food, you know, um, sriracha, you know, who knew what that was a few years ago? And now you can get it on a burger at Wendy's. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I'm saying, well, how come Caribbean foods aren't quite growing in the same way. 
and just sort of observing that and, and thinking, well, geez, there's an opportunity here. All these other, whether it's Middle Eastern and all these other foods are growing, but not Caribbean. And so we thought, well, can we take the opportunity to introduce Caribbean flavors and seasonings, at least, into the market and see where that goes? Um, and that's sort of where, you know, what drove us to, to, to give it a shot in the marketplace. But we also wanted to do something different from the standpoint of, you know, I didn't want to pay a ton of money to get this put on a supermarket shelf and let it get dusty. That's kind of where I was going because a lot of times in the entrepreneurship space or when you see, you know, black founders, they celebrate making it to the shelves and Target and these big box companies. So talk to me a little bit about the opportunities being your own distributor or, you know, like boutique approach to selling Caribbean products and not always going, you know, big box mainstream. Right. So look, never say never, but it was not in our plan actually to get to, you know, success was not getting on the shelf of Walmart, um, to be perfectly honest. Like I say, never say never, but that was not the original plan. Our approach was to go very slowly to introduce the product to the marketplace. Our going big, we hope to get into a home shopping network type of situation. Um, Again, having more direct control and ownership with our end users to explain the products, to explain how to use the products, um, and to have a more intimate relationship with them as opposed to handing all of that off to somebody else. That is the vision for the business. And hey, look, no, nothing wrong with those people who want to go into Walmart. There's a ton of money to be made there. Um, I just wanted to do something different. I have you know, some slightly different goals and approaches, having done this for decades with the big companies, and I wanted to try something different. I think this conversation is very refreshing because we don't hear, at least especially within the Caribbean community, the strategy that is going a more boutique approach, a more intimate relationship with the audience, because you know, with Caribbean, it's all about relationship selling, right? Yes, It's exactly. about <laughs> connecting and, you know, they know that, is it who cooking or making this sauce, you know, <laughs> who do it, you know, you yes. know. And that's why, and that's one of the reasons why, I, you know, so, I mean, I named this company after my aunt because it really was, she is like, that aunt that we all have, right? Who is the family cook. Um, and don't get me wrong. I have a ton of aunts. They're all great cooks. But you know, when you have a family, you say, oh, Auntie Mavis, you're making, you, you're making some oxtail. Auntie Mavis, can you make some pillow? Auntie Mavis, you know, uh, fry some plantain. <laughs> She's that aunt. And I really wanted to represent that. You know, so it is Mavis Foods after her and the idea was to bring her into any kitchen her approaches as well as to make it accessible sometimes people think other you know people who are not caribbean but even some who are think some of these dishes are so hard to make and the other thing we wanted to do was to make it easy so the green sauce the marinade for example you don't have to cut up a ton of things and know every single spice you put some of this in and that gives your food some flavor, for example. Lovely, lovely. I just love this. I'm enjoying this conversation. Um, and I'm like trying to switch brains because I'm like, am I answering from the point of like someone who has marketing questions? Or just- <laughs> 
But I, I also think this is really good. So let's let's go back a little bit to your corporate experience. What was that like? Because you've had some really huge titles. You were president, you mm-hmm. know, while you were at Mars, for example, or, you know, you had very high profile roles, right? How did you navigate as a daughter of the Caribbean in these corporate spaces? Let's start there. I think at the end of the day, I think part of it was just stubbornness, you know, that if uh, coming from the Caribbean, I was always taught that I could be and do whatever I put my mind to. If I worked hard, if I put in the work, um, and, you know, in corporate America, you, you know, yeah, I came in and I didn't have very many role models of people who looked like me or spoke like me um, with my background who uh, had made it to the top. So there were not very many paths that, you know, people like to say, oh, well, she did it or he did it. But, you know, I'm, I'm very stubborn. And that is you tell me I cannot do something, then I will set about to prove you wrong. And I think some of that. Um, served me well in that regard. Um, I was relentless. Um, If I had to, I worked harder than the next person. You know, I read the signs. What does it take to be successful here? Do those things, get the exposure, push forward, uh, build networks. Um, I think building the networks was perhaps the single most important thing. It's not just about the work. The work is doing the work and doing good work is the starting point, <laughs> but you can't, you won't be successful if all you do is great work, if nobody knows about it. And so somehow building a network so that when a job is available, someone says, Hey, what about Deborah for that job? Why don't we put Deborah in there? Um, that's what you got. You must have in corporate America to be successful. Um, and so I, I built very broad networks of folks. Um, I, had mentors. I still do. Um, and I mentor others. I try to pay it forward because I just feel, you know, someone said to me once, you know, corporate America, sometimes knowing how things work in a company is like playing a game. And if everyone's playing chess and you're playing dominoes, (laughs) you will not succeed. You need to know the rules of the road. What is the game that is being played? How does someone win? And that's how, you know, that, that's the game you got to play if you want to win in that company. Listen, I use a similar analogy. You can't bring a soccer rules to an NFL game, right? Thank you. So, <laughs> and that is a very hard lesson that I had to learn that this, your parents grow you up to just do your hard work, do your hard work. And we spend so much time heads down doing yep. hard work that we, we look up and we get, we get upset because we didn't get the promotion because we're in our minds. We're supposed to think we're supposed to get the promotion because to work harder than the other person. Whereas and we deserve other, it. And we deserve it. Whereas <laughs> the other person was busy doing work and building the networks so yes. that they were top of mind when things came up. And I think that was, that was part of a huge reason why I started Carry On Friends, because those are lessons that I learned the hard way. Yeah. Um, and very stubborn, like, I didn't come here to make friends, I come here to work. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and, 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 and the truth is, in corporate America, you came for both, even if it's friends. You came to build some networks. You came to build, you, you know, it, you cannot just do, as you said, put your head down and do the work. 
because part of how you win is you have to make sure people know what work you're doing. You have to learn how to tout your own horn. One of the, that's one of the things that we were sort of taught that's not such a good thing, right? So you have to find a way to do that and be comfortable with that um, because if they're playing chess, you can't play dominoes. <laughs> you know, you so. better know which court you're playing on and bring that rule to that. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. I have a ton of questions here for you, you know, so um, I think the next thing going from there is, did you feel like there were aspects of your Caribbean heritage and upbringing that gave you a perspective that helped you thrive um, in work? Because I just covered one instance where there's one perspective that might hurt us. But on the flip side of that, what do you think was one thing that helped you succeed or gave you a Caribbean competitive advantage type thing. So it's funny because I have I've had this conversation many times with some of my African American female friends who are in corporate America, um, and their perspective on it is that sometimes when you're coming from the Caribbean, you don't come with some of the some people would say baggage or some people would say expectations of support that growing up in this country or the issues that you might have growing up in this country. Now, you know, not having grown up here, it's hard to say if that's true or not. But I do think what I believe is growing up in a country my whole life where black people were in power. So, you know, you could be the black person who was the thief you could also be the black person who was the prime minister. It was not the, the blackness that decided, you know, if you were one or the other. You know, I've since raised a child in this country and I worked very hard to make sure that the images she got from very early on were just that. They were not just the negative images that show up on TV of, you know, uh, black people being arrested or black people being discriminated against. She saw she was able to go to Trinidad from the age of four. And I never forget asking her when she was about six or seven, why she liked going there so much. I thought it was, well, she liked the beach and the pools. And she said, no, mom, I like all the brown people. And so I think you can't underestimate what that, what that plants in your psyche that, yeah, I could be the prime minister if I want to. I could be the president if I want to. Um, because that's kind of what you're surrounded by. So I, I do think that that has, uh, I think that has a positive impact. I will also say when you get to this country, there are many things that try to beat that down. You know, um, I'll never forget the first time I was called a minority and I didn't know that they were talking about me. <laughs> I was like, no, wait, there are more black people in the world, but okay. So I'm a minority and I just, you know, it made me feel small. It made me feel less than, and I still don't use that word to this day. I don't like it. And so, you know, I think you just have to, I, I often hold on to, and, and during my years in corporate America, I still have a home in Tobago. And one of the reasons, and I always wanted to expose my daughter to life in the Caribbean, but also for me, it was a place to get away from the craziness, get centered again about who I am, what I'm about, how I was raised, 
it was helpful to my soul to go back and replenish so that then I could come back and jump into the, you know, the corporate thing again. Everything you said just resonated with me. There's this thing about, like you said, where we come from and being a majority and how there are moments where living here can let you feel a little downtrodden yes. <laughs> because of how life is here, but yet we persevere when we can, right? So you talked about your daughter and there's this term I don't like because it's it, it creates this stress, but work-life balance. And when I first heard it, you think of a scale and you want it to even up. And I think more of being a parent and working is more like a seesaw. Some days it, it's, you know, work, work, work. And the other <laughs> days it's, you know, let's be a parent. So tell me how you navigated being in working as a mom in these high profile roles. We already know the gender roles that are, you know, assigned to us. And how did you navigate those? And how did you create, I don't like the word balance, but maybe cohesion, something to, to kind of yeah. navigate. So first of all, it's, um, it's an ongoing journey, right? It, this quote unquote balance is not a destination is what I always say. And I've always talked of it actually as more of sort of almost like, you know, if you envision someone walking, if you go to the circus, you know, someone's walking a tightrope and they have a big bar. Sometimes the bar is tilted to the left. Sometimes it's tilted to the right. And that's kind of the way, you know, sometimes home is going to take the press. Something's going on and work, you know, you got to put work, push work a little back a little bit. And sometimes things are going on at work and you got to push home back a little bit. So, um, but it has been a journey. <laughs> um, the, the single biggest thing I had to learn early was that it's okay to ask for help. And by help, for example, I was just running myself ragged, trying to do everything myself. And I remember the first time I had to tell my mother that I was hiring someone to help me clean my house <laughs> because, Ooh. you know, you I know. need you to tell me how that went <laughs> because that in and of itself added stress. Cause I even wrote about that on my blog, this idea of, I may need to get somebody to help me clean or do yes. something else. And the stress that happens because Caribbean people don't do that. You have to clean, you, you have to keep a clean house and you have to do it yourself. And I was just literally too tired and not wanting to spend the only free time I might have, the real free time on a Saturday, for cleaning. example, cleaning. I mean, I'd rather be hanging out with my kid and doing things with them. Um, but I don't want to like trip over the toys or the dishes to do that. So, you know, it took me a while. And then I just said to mom, I said, mom, I can't, I, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to have to hire somebody. <laughs> my mother, who I was, I thought I was going to get like sort of a talking to said, I don't know what took you so long. <laughs> she shocked me. <laughs> she shocked me. And so since then, you know, uh, yes, I've, I've hired, I hired a nanny. I hired uh, a, a gardener. <laughs> I hired a number of other people to help me along the way. It sometimes meant you know, not the newest car or not the fanciest, uh, you know, new coat or whatever, 
but it, you know, you, you prioritize and it made a difference in my lifestyle, in my ability. Yes, I could go on Saturday and go, you know, go hang out with my daughter somewhere, or we could just stay in and, you know, play games or read books or watch TV um, and not have to worry about, okay, my gosh, I have to clean. I got to clean, you know, I got to do laundry. Um, so asking for help was an important lesson, both at home and in the office. Um, you know, building a strong team uh, as I grew in corporate America, one of the things I learned was you don't have to do everything yourself there either. And you are actually better served by building such a strong team. So in those times when, as my daughter was apt to do, whenever I had something big coming up, she would get sick, you know, (laughs) and and, uh, it was so great to have a, a good team working with me that I could say, Hey guys, I'm going to be out this morning. I got to take my daughter to the doctor. Something's going on. You guys handle it. Go, go, go. Check in with me on this, on X, Y, and Z, and then come back. And not have to be losing my mind that um, they wouldn't be able to handle it. So learning how to build a strong team, get support, both personally and professionally, was a very important lesson. Wow. And even in that, you know, going back to the building the networks and the relationship to trust your team to be able to do what they needed to do, that that's part of some of the lessons as Caribbeans we we have to learn because yes. without that is a whole bunch of work and a whole bunch of stress. And you can't do it. The, the bottom line is you cannot do it on your own and you shouldn't. Uh, if you want to be successful in a corporate setting, you have to find a way to build and work with teams, build strong teams and work with strong teams. Sometimes you are the leader, sometimes you're a team member, sometimes you're a follower, but you've got to be great at all of those different roles. And you have to decide what you have to be at, at which time. When am I a follower? When am I the leader? Um, but you got to be good at all. Now, there's a saying that I see on social media. And I think it's appropriate to ask you because you're now in this role. People will make these declarations. I left my full-time job and I'm now an entrepreneur. I've been stop working on other people's dreams and start working on your dreams. And I've always found that puzzling because if you're an entrepreneur and you started your own business and you want, you intend to grow your business, which I hope most people do, you then need to ask somebody to work on your business, right? So if everyone <laughs> was taking this idea of stop working on everybody else's dream and work on your own, then we'd be a bunch of entrepreneurs not having other people to help us build our own businesses. <laughs> so because you're now, you've been in corporate and you've gotten to what most people think to be the top in these top roles, and now you're an entrepreneur, what insights or what lessons from corporate are you bringing into this role as an entrepreneur? And what are some things that you've learned or you're learning as an entrepreneur that you're like, wow, I wish I'd learned this in corporate? Oof, let's see. Uh, that's a big question. Um, in, things, in terms of things that I've learned in corporate, the first thing is that it's all about the customer and, you know, sort of really listening um, and look, I don't have the big budgets I had when I was in corporate, so but but I have ways to listen and and understand. It's like I was saying to you before, like when we launched the sauces, 
you know, we had this mild sauce and this hotter sauce and all my Caribbean people were like, it's not hot enough. You, you got, that's, I need it hotter. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, it's got scorpion pepper in it. And, you know, some people can't even, can barely manage the mild sauce. You all want hotter. Okay, I, I got you. You're going to come with an even hotter sauce for you, my Caribbean people. Thank you very much. <laughs> and so, you know, just, but that was a lesson that I've always had, which was you got to, you might, you may come with an idea that you think is fabulous, but you also have to adapt as you, as you feed your idea into the universe, right? They may reject it. They may love it. They may not see it the way you see it. You have to listen. So that's something that, um, that I brought into this from the get in terms of things that I'm learning now, <laughs> uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, I have to do all the, I, you know, well, maybe it's the way I approach things as well. I want to do every job as we are growing so that as we grow, I can hand things off. And I know if someone says to me, well, this and this can't be done. I know if it can be done or not, because I did that job for a little bit. And when I was in corporate America, I came up through marketing. And, you know, when then I went into general management, I had all the other functions reporting to me. And I wish I had spent time earlier in my career getting more comfortable with some of those other functions. So I was in marketing and I was very focused on marketing, but it would have been nice to do a rotation early in my career in operations a rotation in R&D, a rotate, you know what I mean? In different parts, a, a rotation in sales. And I actually did ultimately do a sort of a sales rotation later on. And it opened my eyes because you really do get a sense of the challenges of that function when you're in it, um, as opposed to your perception of what the challenges might be not having been in it. You don't have to be an expert, but you, enough to know like where to probe, what might be the challenge. So that's one thing. If I had done that, I wish I had done that in corporate America is started off early in my career, rotating through different functions to get a full 360 view of a business. Yeah. 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 And as you were talking, I, um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, you know, I'm sure as you were coming up, especially you spending almost 30 years in corporate, what was that like? being maybe one of, if not the only Black person in a lot of these executive roles, what do you say to a listener who is the Black general manager or the Black executive at their company and may feel some level of burden or feeling like they no one understands them? What do you say to that person? You know, Everybody has to have their own journey. Yeah? For me, it felt like a huge weight for a long time that I can't mess up because if I mess up, it's not just Deborah messing up, it's Black women or Black people messing up. If I fail, it's not just me. And um, I had to ultimately find a way to release that weight. It was too much to bear. You know, being successful in corporate America is tough for everybody, right? Moving through the ranks is tough. Why are you putting more rocks in your bag? <laughs> and so somewhere along the line, I just sort of released and realized that 
if that were the case, that's not my issue. That's their issue for being myopic to not understand that that's an individual. That is not a race or a gender that is not succeeding in that job, if that's the case. So eventually I had to say, okay, fine. You know what? I just kind of have to be me. I have to, to do my very best. I can't be worried about p- other people's perceptions of me. And my entire career, I've tried to be as authentic as possible. What you see is kind of what you get. I'm bringing it all. And for some people, it doesn't work. And that's okay. We move along. <laughs> right? Um, but what I'm not going to do is to pretend to be something else to, to fit someone else's view of what I should be. That it does ultimately that just doesn't work. It's too much other stuff to worry about. <laughs> too much pressure. Right. It's way, way too much. And so it was for me a huge release to say, um, so because yes, there are lonely times when I'm either the only woman or the young at that in some days the youngest person, the only person of color, certainly the only Caribbean person, and and I'm also Latina. My, I was actually born in Venezuela. I grew up in Trinidad, and so you know I'm always going to be different. That's just it. And I just sort of got to the point where I just sort of accepted. Okay, I'm the different one. You know. This is that I'm not going to try and not be and be something else. And that's the one piece of advice I'd give to folks. Be authentic, be yourself. If you're in an environment where that isn't accepted, then maybe you're in the wrong environment. Good advice. You just added that Venezuelan Trinidadian component. Most people may not even understand but from a proximity perspective, it's like on a good day, you stand at one end, there's Venezuela over there. So talk to me a little bit about how you see yourself and how you show up in the world where you're, you just said, well, you know, you grew up in Trinidad, you have a place in Tobago, but do you ever feel like you're neglecting this Venezuelan side of you at all? Totally. (laughs) Because I mean, I was born there. I didn't grow up there. I still have a lot of family there. Um, both of my parents were born there and grew up in Trinidad. So it throughout my whole family and my mother's from a huge family where many people, I would say the majority of people were born in Venezuela and grew up in Trinidad or born in Trinidad, spent a lot of time in Venezuela. So we've gone back and forth. The Venezuelan side, I think I took for granted in some ways, you know, sort of growing up in Trinidad. I didn't spend as much time, for example, learning Spanish. I actually spent more time in school learning French. So I kind of took the Spanish stuff for for granted. And I haven't, you know, I haven't been to Venezuela in many years because of the political challenges there. And my daughter has never been to Venezuela. And that's the one that breaks my heart the most because, I mean, okay, in the age of technology that we have today, she can connect with family and friends, but it's not the same. She's never been there. She's never walked the street. She's never saw where, you know, the town where I was born. And so, yeah, I sometimes feel that I'm neglecting it. But in my heart, it's just kind of part of who I am, you know. And at Christmas time, when we're making pastels, I'm very Venezuelan. (laughs) So sometimes it's the food. Um, and sometimes it's the, the family, we have family members who are still prime, you know, Spanish dominant and, you know, you, you sort of chat with them, but 
you know, it's it's like so many of us have different parts of ourselves that we dial up or down or in or out to. And for me, it's sort of, I've always sort of maneuvered into these different worlds, you know, it's different rooms in my life. It's the Venezuelan room. It's the Trini room. It's the American corporate America room. It's the mom room, you know. Yeah. I think that's one thing that I told people that I learned very well from my growing up Jamaican, how to compartmentalize, you know, there's a, there's a box over here for this. There's a box here for that. That's your school clothes. That's your church clothes. That's your going out (laughs) clothes, you know, and they don't mix. And, and so I, without realizing I went through life, like, Oh, these are these friends over here. These are these, and you know, going, so I, I completely understand. So as we wrap up, I have um, some questions in terms of advice. So what is one piece of advice would you give to the listener who is still in corporate? And then I have the next one would be the one who's like me in corporate and has a side hustle. I'm entrepreneuring (laughs) on this on the side or at night. And then the listener who's a full on entrepreneur. So let's start with the person who's still working a nine to five. Look, I mean, I think it's really about. I'll tell you this. When I was uh, president of a large organization, let's take my, when I was president of Mars Chocolate North America, I would go and do town halls at different sites and facilities you work with. I had 4,000 people, right, in the organization. And you put me in a room with people and I could tell you the people who were there because they were passionate about their jobs and the people who were there to collect a paycheck. It shows, it shows in your eyes, it shows in your demeanor, it shows in how you tackle a task. Um, And there's no joy in just collecting a paycheck. I would say find something that brings you joy in some way. Um, and, And if that joy is only the paycheck, then you know what? Go after that paycheck and be excited about it. And be excited about it. But, you know, the dead eyes, man, you know, the, or the golden handcuffs, or it's just like, I'm tied to this job because of the pay. It, this, it, life is too short. Yeah. Is what I would say. Yeah. And then for someone like me who has a full time job that I like, and I'm also an entrepreneur, what's the advice you would give to someone like me? I think you're lucky to find an opportunity to, fuel something that you're so passionate about that you're going to find the time to do it. Right. And getting back to this notion about life is short and it's about joy. I say, you know, fuel that because sometimes that is the thing that's bringing you the joy more so than the, the daytime quote unquote job. And if that's what you got to do, then that's awesome. You know, but then take some of that excitement you're at work and it's like, hey, look, I can hardly wait to get home because I'm doing this podcast tonight that I'm excited about. You know, let that sort of shine through in some way and and consider yourself fortunate that some people never get to find that thing or they never take the risk to invest in that thing. And I also fundamentally believe you just never know where things are going to lead. Right. So. Um, I say, good for you. More power to you. Keep doing it. (laughs) Thank you. And now for our entrepreneur, they're completely self-employed or building their own business. What advice would you give for them? So as I've learned being an entrepreneur, there are some, there are more peaks and valleys 
than they were in corporate America. Um, in part because you're kind of on your own, <laughs> right? I mean, you're doing your own thing and there's some days where you might get that big order and there's some days there's not enough orders. There's some days where, you know, you sometimes where you're struggling to make the payroll if you have, have other people depending on you. And there's some days when it feels like life couldn't be better. And so I think the hardest thing um, as an entrepreneur is how to weather the storms, right? Uh, obviously the peaks are good, but the valleys can be so depressing sometimes. And, you know, everybody's got to find their way through those valleys some way, shape or form. But for your own mental health, it really is important to find a way through those valleys. And sometimes, you know, you just, you have to be super creative. I mean, one of the things that I have, I did learn in corporate America is, you know, even a big business when it's in trouble, you know, what do they do? Sometimes they have to cut back. Sometimes they have to pivot. Well, we were doing this. Well, okay, we now we got to do that. And when you're smaller, at least you have often the ability to pivot faster. So if you got to pivot, pivot. And don't, don't, don't get too down on yourself. I mean, those, it's the valleys that I, that I think are sometimes the toughest times. For sure. The toughest and loneliest, not sure. Yes. Lonely because maybe no one identifies or lonely because we feel like we're the only ones dealing with it. And well, I think it's lonely too, because if you have people depending on you yeah. for paychecks, most of us feel a responsibility and you want to be able to, you don't want to have to lay people off or you don't want to have to cut. You want the business to be successful. So those people will have uh, an opportunity to, to feed their families too. So that's a lot of pressure. It is yeah. for sure. So coming back around to Mavis foods, what's next, what's in store, what can we expect? Where can people get the sauces and when can people get the attest of the attest sauces? <laughs> yes. So it's Basodi, right? So we call the we call the brand Basodi because originally I was going to call it Auntie Mavis's, but we couldn't get the trademark and we kept going through name after name after name. And then one of the things I remembered from my learning in corporate America, for example, when we named Splenda, it didn't mean anything. It was just the name we gave meaning to. So we decided to stick to our Caribbean roots. We found we wanted a name like Bacchanal or something like that, but something that was different. And uh, but still pronounce something that people might be able to pronounce. Um, that's why Bacchanal was ruled out. <laughs> uh, is it Bacchanal or Bacchanal? That type of exactly, yes. exactly. And as it is, you know, some people already say it's Bazodi. So no Bazodi. <laughs> um, so you know, we sell on our own site. We sell on on Amazon. But I would say to folks, go to www.bazodee.com, B-A-Z-O-D-E-E.com to get our sauces. We have the Ahsoka sauce and we have a hot, hot Soka sauce. We're coming up with a hot, hot, hot Soka sauce <laughs> later this year with putting so much scorpion pepper in there that my, especially my Jamaican friends will be proud because y'all like some hot stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Trains sure and Jamaicans, do. it can't literally the hot hot sauce. You know, I find I can only eat a certain amount of it. My Jamaican girlfriend uses it like ketchup on her food. I'm like, oh my god, it's too much. <laughs> so for her, I'm coming up with the hot 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 
Um, and that will be in the fourth quarter of this year. And then hopefully you'll see us um, on QVC or Home Shopping Network later in the year as well. That's very exciting. I am like, after this, I want to be a student of the marketing, right? Because I think that is just so um, important and genius and just having your insight. But um, other than that, tell everyone where to find you on social media, how to connect with you and how to learn more. Yes. So it's Basil D underscore foods or Basil D foods, whether it's Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. You can also look for Mavis Foods, but it's uh, Basildi Foods is where you'll find us. Don't mind if you put in Basildi and the movie comes up. Just keep looking. <laughs> it's Basildi Foods or Basildi Sauces. And we're always looking for more friends on, uh, on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter followers. So please follow and comment and try out the sauces. All right. Thank you so much. And that's it, everyone. And as I love to say at the end of the show, walk good. The Carry On Friends podcast is produced by Breadfruit Media. And new episodes are available every other Tuesday morning. You can listen to the podcast on the website, carryonfriends.com. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen to your podcast. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience, produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends. Carry On Friends.